had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Welcome to Transformation Change Radio. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear with the Center for Transformation Change, and I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Takisa Pino here. We met just a little bit ago, but in our initial conversation, I was like, oh, I want to keep learning more with you. Critical strategies to really create true equity, inclusion, racial justice, especially within the areas that you have more life experience than I do. Counseling centers, which in and of themselves, I have found a challenging place to work. And then academic colleges. We've had a lot of folks on looking at systemic full universities, other organizations, but you're my first to be just an academic college. And you were hired Mm -hmm. for the College of Education, their inaugural first college level diversity, equity, inclusion officer at Illinois State. Yeah, thank you. I always tell people I was in the pool and I won. So I'm the winner. I always call myself a winner because I get to be the BEI officer for the College of Education at Illinois State University. And you're even wearing Redbird. I love it. I know. I thought I'd represent the Illinois State University Redbird today. Well, what I love about what you're bringing here today is you also have, at least there, from 2010. So that's over a decade working yes. in the counseling center. Yes. With an EDI race lens from the beginning, yes. but officially mm-hmm. 2014, part of student affairs, you were brought in or at least within that chosen to lead the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion efforts in the counseling center. I'm assuming partnering with the director or were you the director as well? No, so I was not the director, but definitely the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that rolled out of student affairs were something that I partnered with with our director and honestly the entire counseling center, right? Because to be able to do this work and to do this type of work well, you really have to be able to hear all voices within the department or organization that you're working with. So really everybody was a part of the uh, EDI process. Well, that's great to hear because my experience in counseling centers and others is you have the folks that are wanting to do the work, have already been doing it, and then some willing middles, but there are (laughs) folks dragging their feet, resisting, maybe it's underground, maybe they're performing. We'll get to some of that possibly. Yeah. (laughs) I always like to ask folks, just tell us a bit about yourself, whatever you'd like to share, and how are you doing in these times of continuing pandemic? Mm-hmm. times needed for racial reckoning and, and then we're yeah. just preparing for fall semester so how are you doing 
Absolutely. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm pretty busy, right? You know, when people ask me, you know, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. I like to go through kind of my professional lens, but also, um, of course, a part of me is a personal lens. And so, like you said, I'm the DEI officer for the College of Education at Illinois State University. Um, I've been at Illinois State University for about almost 11 years coming up in September. Um, and I was at the Counseling Center for 10 and a half of those years. I just started my DEI position in January, January 19th, to be exact. And um, so that is the work that I'm currently doing, really trying to create a framework for the College of Education at Illinois State University to be able to roll out sustainable and systemic mm. change. Um, so that is what I do for work. Actually, I also have a private practice. I'm a, I'm a marriage and family therapist. So on my in my extra time, I get to um, sit with beautiful couples and families and help them to be the couples and families that they want to be healthy and happy. And I really love doing that too. Um, I also get to teach. So that's a cool thing. I'm non-tenure track um, faculty at Illinois State University. And so I get to teach basic counseling skills, which is kind of cool. So that's the professional lens. And then um, the personal lens is that I'm a mom and a wife. Uh, I'm a friend, um, a daughter and a sister. And I love all of those people and all of those things. They are really the things that um, besides my work that give me fulfillment and help me have the energy to do what I do throughout. I'm hearing that from so many folks doing social justice work these days, especially folk of color, especially black women, exhausted, burned out. And so mm -hmm. having to have some spiritual, emotional, physical yeah. rejuvenation, especially as we're moving to month, I think 17 of this pandemic. Yeah. And many organizations are coming back hybrid or in person and then all that that comes with it to keep sustained. I'd love you to, if you're willing to share a bit about growing up or life experience that fuel your deep passion. I mean, for most folks, this mm -hmm. is a calling. It's not just a job. And so right. there are folks listening who relate to you. That's like, it's been decades that I've been doing this work, maybe not officially. So kind of, is there anything you're willing to share about what fuels your passion to show up even when you are close, if not in exhaustion burnout? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I remember growing up, I grew up with my mom, my dad, and my older sister. Um, I am the baby of the family. And so um, I remember, I think it must've been pre-K, I think it was pre-kindergarten. We had to draw pictures and I was so proud of my picture, Kathy, that I went home and I marched straight back to my dad's bedroom and I said, Daddy, look at this picture that I drew, right? Because oh, you know, I, I have an ego, okay? I, I think I'm amazing. And the first thing that my dad said to me was, how come none of these people are Black? And that was the first time that it kind of opened my eyes to, huh, how come 
one of these, why didn't I draw people who look like me, who look like our family, who look like the people who I love? And this was, I'm pretty sure this was like at three or four years old. And I remember kind of having that aha moment of, that's a really good question, Dad. Why didn't I represent myself within these images? And I think that was kind of the key point to me having a lens of there are different identities. People are diverse. Um, people are different. And really working to honor who I am and my identity in different ways. So that was honestly the key moment at three or four that really helped me to kind of start having passion for the work and the differences between people. Um, and then I really, really fell in love with diversity, equity, and inclusion work because the first identity I walk out um, in the world with is being Black. It's my race. Um, and I think that that's very common for folks who identify as Black because it really shapes the way um, that people see the world, that people see us, right? And it really shapes the way that I see the world. And so that's kind of like my predominant identity. That's the one that I think about throughout the day when I walk into different spaces. And that takes a lot of energy and effort. So the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion work really just a part of my life. It kind of had to be because of the system um, that I live in, in the United States of America. It's, it's a part of how people interact with me and I interact with them throughout the day. Couple thoughts, I love this. When I was three and four, I was not paying at all attention to race. Uh, and I'll bet it wasn't a very long time before. I mean, I noticed demographic difference. I grew up in the civil rights era, but it was always those bad whites that were perpetuating racism, white supremacy. And it mm -hmm. took me decades to begin to do the self-work of racist attitudes, racist behaviors, how I perpetuate dominant white culture, how I discriminate. And as we've kind of transitioned in the counseling centers, um, my experience working with the four or five counseling centers was the resistance, particularly of white counselors and leaders, mm -hmm. just schooled and trained into these are the ways you do counseling, but not seeing how that was kind of white middle class, upper middle class ways, much less the hierarchy and the and most folks of color that I shared and talked to who in counseling centers said, I can't bring my full self here, <laughs> you know, maybe mm -hmm. behind a closed yeah. door or work with a client, yeah. but I get racist microaggressions from clients, from staff. Absolutely. When I raise them, I'm the angry blank. Right. So I don't know if that was just the three, four five places I was consulting or if you're finding in your colleagues. So a long way of saying counseling mm -hmm. centers, challenges, progress you've seen, mm -hmm. what kind of work that counseling centers really need to do to transform practice and culture to truly be equitable, inclusive, especially around issues of race. Yeah, yeah. So honestly, I would broaden that out to any organization. I think that, you know, you have, um, people are at different places, right? In, in their journey of inclusiveness. There are some people who do not at all 
want to be inclusive. They don't want to think about race. They don't want to talk about race. And they wish that the word was was never created, right? And then you have like your choir, those folks who are, you know, on board, ready to talk, ready to really fight against marginalization, um, systemic inequality, those type of things. And then you have your folks in the middle. And I don't know that I can narrow that down to counseling centers because I would say that that is kind of across the board. Um, you know, at least the United States of America. I don't know a lot about the world, but I do know a little bit about the United States. So I'd say that it would definitely mirror our systems in the U.S. of A. Um, one of the things that I have noticed within counseling centers that has been, it was an aha moment for me, is because an assumption that I had uh, working with counseling centers doing equity, diversity, and inclusion work was that we talk and heal hearts for a living. This is going to be easy stuff. You know, when we when we talk about um, the healing process, restorative justice, when we talk about race, these are, we talk about difficult things every day with our clients. So this will be a breeze for us. Well, I found out that it is not a breeze. It is not a breeze when um, you're working with therapists, right, about personal things. Because we can definitely be outward focused on our clients, but sometimes that internal work is difficult for us. My experience parallels my personal experience, I wanted to help people of color from that paternalistic, just be more like me, be more white. I can help you and educate you. <laughs> and then if we make the transition, because we'll get the faculty too, it sounds very familiar. Folks that have studied, taught, I've had counseling, especially white counselors say, I can work with anybody without right. realizing they were still pushing a very white dominant cultural and weren't taking into account racism or their privileged mm -hmm. identities. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So what were some of the strategies that helped, whether you know, race and other issues that helped the counselors and the leaders do that self-work to realize how they're perpetuating, how they really don't know as much as they need to, and then changing their practices mm. to truly meet the needs of everyone, mm -hmm. not just folks that, was it Yahweh? No, Yavis, young, I'm older than you, so... <laughs> I just remember a counseling course I taught. It was like, they're young, attractive, oh. similar values, like uh -huh. me. There was something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. No worries. Actually, I love to learn. So that's a new acronym for me. That's a new yeah. acronym for me. <laughs> so um, you were asking about counseling centers. I lost your question. I'm sorry. Because yeah, I talk. Uh, what are some of the practices, strategies to individual development, yeah. self-work, so that they would provide mm -hmm. better services? And then the center practices, policies that were more aligned. Absolutely. With Absolutely. So one of the things that we found, and honestly, Kathy, that you helped us with is to create a framework that would unify us throughout the division of student affairs. And that was the Multicultural Organization Developmental Model, the MCOD model. And so that was really the framework that we used to start 
our anti-racism, social justice work, our inclusion work within the counseling center. And the MCOD model um, very rightly talks about making sure that those who are currently in power are on board. And I found out very quickly that that was step one. <laughs> so really being able to utilize um, the power structure within the institution, right? And the power structure really comes from the president's office. So what are the initiatives that the president's office are doing? What are the values of the institution? And being able to align those with things that needed to shift within the counseling center, that was the way that, that the change started to happen. Because if we can align it, right, with the resources, if we can align it with the mission and vision, then leadership came on board with that process, with that process. Um, and I, I think part of it is, you know, leadership gets to do their horn and say, hey, look at what we're doing and how it aligns with the university's values and initiatives. Um, at the same time, I think it's great to toot our own horn and say, hey, we're actually doing this work. So that was really step one is to get leadership on board by aligning it with the hierarchical structure of the institution. And then step two was really assessment, right? We all hate, well, no, we don't hate research, right? We love research. We love data. Things are great. But really gathering data and understanding that the voice, right, qualitative data is just as important as those numbers, the quantitative data, because quantitative data really leads it, lends itself towards the majority voice, but those ends of one, that one um, indigenous Native American person within the center, right, or the one Vietnamese counselor that you have. Those voices and those lenses are so important to be able to hear to make sure that our center is welcoming and inclusive. And so making sure that we didn't just look at those numbers and say 80% of people think this. We really wanted to look at the individual and hear the individual voice, which lends itself towards equity, right? Giving people individually what they need to be successful. So that was kind of the second step was the assessment. And then the third step was really knocking out an action plan of saying, okay, how are we going to get here? What are the barriers? And how will people be held accountable for the work? And so some of the policies and procedures, like our annual evaluation, mm -hmm. We added something on there that says, this is what you said you were going to do at the beginning of the year that focuses on DEI. At the end of the year, did you do that? If not, why? How have you progressed in this area? So really connecting the performance evaluation, something that had a little bit of weight to it, to doing the work. So those were kind of the three steps that, that we went through in the center that was super helpful. I love it. So it's individual change and also systemic change, I'm assuming, yes. about changing how y'all do intake and how you do hiring and how you do Absolutely. onboarding and exit interviews. So the full breadth, everything you do, EDI lens, what's aligned, where do we fall short? Um, 
competencies. Folks listening, you may know that on my website, drkathyaberg.com backslash resources, lots of open access resources, handouts, videos, including expected competencies for folks creating an anti-racist organization. Mm-hmm. This is something I learned since George Floyd's murders. I work with top leaders because the MCOD model you're talking about, doctors Jackson, Hardiman, and Holvino, yes. mm-hmm. their work, there are probably five or six different chapters and articles. Um, and you'll see some of those materials free, again, open access on my works uh, website. They really do talk about leader buy-in, and I didn't do the competencies. So are there some ways that you've been helping leaders get clear? We want counselors who are really challenging the ways they were thought to counsel and make sure they're inclusive and multicultural mm-hmm. and um, dealing with microaggressions in the moment. So are there, I think this is the wave of organizations, at least in higher ed. Yeah. Are you all having experience, strength, and hope to share about competencies? Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the great things about the counseling field is competencies is kind of the foundation of what we <laughs> and so as we think about competencies differently, right, as we add that multicultural lens, as we add that equity lens, we add those things to the audits that we do within our, within our system. And so one of the things that we did to look individually at ourselves as therapists is to do a, an annual cultural audit to make sure that we were competent in the areas that aligned with the DEI work that we were doing. And so it was something where we were able to create goals after we did our self audit, we could create goals to how we were gonna grow and develop over the year. And again, that was attached to our, our performance evaluation. The other thing that we did with hiring practices is we waited folks hire who had previous experience with EDI work, right? So when we're looking at our candidates, if they have a history of doing real work in EDI, then we would rank those candidates higher because that's the type of folks that we wanted to include within our systems, those people who are always working on their competence in the area of EDI. So that's another shift that we made within the counseling center. Listeners are going, so it's not just one out of 20 questions. You have multiple questions, demonstrated capacity. So it's not just what they say, but in the interview and they were weighted higher. Some folks will say that's reverse whatever and how, and yet you're saying these are the competences we need to serve the full students. Mm-hmm. And this is workplace counseling competencies. Right. And Kathy, I think people see equity, diversity, and inclusion as about race. Period. And that is not what it is at all. Equity, diversity, and inclusion is about multiple lenses. So we looked at political affiliations, um, religious uh, preferences, um, English as a second language. Like, how are you doing in these areas? What is your knowledge base? Are you able to apply skill? So we're looking at all kinds. I don't know how it could be reverse anything, 
<laughs> if we're looking at um, the breadth of identity markers to make sure that we're doing the work that we need to do to serve the people that we serve. And that's a strategy to engage the resistance before it comes up. And it could also be, as people are listening, they may have pain points based on the data, five or six categories of difference where whether it's staff and employees or those they serve. And so some folks may say, if you do everything, you'll lose attention, but don't forget it's a both and breadth. Mm -hmm. And we're looking for folks that particularly have competencies in these areas on the website, you'll see group identity cards. Um, this is another resource for folks. This one has, I think, 36 categories of difference. I know mm-hmm. you're very familiar with those. FYI, I just revised it for how do we use an equity lens as we're thinking about coming back to a hybrid work environment and policies and practices, mm-hmm. make sure we're thinking about all folks in their intersecting identities. Um, Love that. So there's so much more in counseling centers, but I want to use that to bridge because you're, again, the first person I've had a chance to talk to in three years like this, of you are in one college. I am, College of Ed. And so how is the work in a college? Because I know you've got other folks in other colleges, so you're not necessarily saying about your specific college. How is working within an academic college similar or different than student affairs? And the folks are listening, that's the student services, res life, counseling center, health center, career services, admissions, those sorts of things. So how is the work Mm -hmm. in a college similar and different? Yeah, so from the student affairs side of the house to the academic side of the house, um, the academic side of the house does have a lot more hierarchy. So there's a lot more systems of hierarchy. It's kind of like tenured professors, associate professors, assistant professors, um, non-tenured track faculty. Um, You have your administrative professional, civil service, um, office personnel, that type of of thing. Um, And so there's definitely folks who have a lot more access to resources and power and have traditionally had that access to resources and power. And so that's something that I've noticed about the um, academic side of the house is that there's a lot, it feels like a lot more embedded traditions mm-hmm. and a lot more um, levels of hierarchy within the academic side of the house than the student affairs side of the house. The education elitism that I run into of, oh, you went to that school, or we want to hire much less, oh, you're not tenure track, oh, you're just a lecturer. So the classism that's built Mm -hmm. in, oh, your staff, and then microaggressions and practices and policies, which benefit folks higher up. Uh, We just have a couple minutes before the break. Are there some ways you have found particularly to get the buy-in of the deans, directors, faculty, just a couple minutes and we'll come back um, after the break and keep going. Just a couple quick nuggets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things, again, that kind of aligns what I shared about the counseling center, it are those value statements. So one of the amazing things that has come out of all the tragedy that we've seen in this country that has been videotaped in this country over the past few years have opened up a lot of people's eyes about inequities um, within our um, within our system 
right? Um, that has really helped to push universities forward in the work of equity, diversity, and inclusion. So in that EDI work, universities are saying, oh my goodness, like we really need to get on board with EDI work. And so um, a lot of universities have formulated um, like the lead EDI officer, which we have at Illinois State University. And so again, for that buy-in is I collaborate with, it's Dr. Doris Houston, I collaborate with her to again, align the initiatives that are coming um, kind of the top of the house, the president's office, to make sure that the college initiatives are aligned with the um, university initiatives. We're also doing a branding campaign to make sure that diversity, equity, inclusion is on the forefront of everybody's mind. And the branding campaign says DEI is you, ISU. So it's you, it's your responsibility. You're responsible for making sure that this work gets done. Not those people who have that title, but it's the entire campus's responsibility. And so that's one thing that really helps leadership get the buy-in is again, if you can parallel those efforts from those folks who are in power and then to be able to roll out that educational campaign um, and be able to toot our own horn and say, hey, we're doing this work. I think that really helps leadership. As we take a deep breath, we're about to go to break. How can people find you? Dr. Kisa Pena, if they yeah. want to have more conversation. Yeah. So um, specifically about DEI work within an educational setting, people can email me at my work email address, which is B as in David, D as in David, P as in Paul, I N as in Nancy, A at ILSTU.edu. If people would like to talk a little bit, we haven't talked tons about this, but talk a little bit about consultation. Um, I do have a private practice that I work in doing counseling. I'm a trained marriage and family therapist, and I also travel doing consultation work. Um, people can reach me at Dr. Dr. Dikisa, D-A-K-E-S-A, Pina, P-I-N-A, at gmail.com. Thank you so much. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear. We'll see you all in a few minutes. We're back in that jazz mood, aren't we? I don't know. What happened to the rap music, Benny? So, oh my gosh. There you go. Thank you, Benny. I like it. You're welcome. I'm going to play that in my car. Boy, I got to have me some baked something now. <laughs> I'm telling you. Get in the groove with Dr. Pat and her guests on Transformation Talk Radio. It's always something new around here. Visit thedrpatshow.com. Imagine what it would be like to turn your pain into purpose. Tune in to Transformation with Martinet every second and fourth Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Martinet and her guests are here shining their lights today through empowering stories of hardship and transformation. Begin to see your life in a new light. Visit MartineEmmons.com and tune in every second and fourth Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific to Transformation with Martinet. TransformationTalkRadio.com Let the journey begin. 
Have you heard about shifting the collective vibration and consciousness on the planet? Join me, Kimberly Barrett, on the Sharing Love and Light show every first and third Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern at TransformationTalkRadio.com to explore the depth of vibration and consciousness on our planet and learn how you can shine your love and light. To learn more, visit SharingLoveAndLightShow.com. Get empowered on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Inspire. Create. Empower. Only on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. When was the last time you had that feeling that you knew something, but you couldn't explain how you knew it? How powerful would it be for your life and business if you could consciously tap into that magic within you? What if you could remember that there's something supernatural about you? Tune in to Absolute Alignment with Christelle Biga when success feels easy. Every first and third Friday at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, 4.30 Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You've been listening, but are you watching? Tune in to your favorite shows on the Transformation Talk Radio Facebook page. We stream live video podcasts every day. It's time to shake out your money-making truth on Soul Wisdom Abundance with Jennifer Bloom, creating wealth from spiritual health on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show is more than your roadmap to success. It's your compass to abundance through joy and ease. Jennifer Bloom teaches you about the soul's relationship to money and wealth and how improving that relationship serves both you and the world. Learn more at JenniferBloom.com. Champion your life with me, Leanne Champion, first and third Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on TransformationTalkRadio.com. That new gym membership might help you get fit, but what about emotional fitness? Jump into the rushing waters of personal growth. Don't waste another minute feeling unfulfilled. Visit ChampionYourLife.com and let's do this together. Ascending with the Arcturians with Vivian Chouvet. Tune in to Transformation Talk Radio every second and fourth Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We are shifting from this third dimensional plane of reality to higher octaves of life. Let us reclaim our sovereignty as a united family of light and manifest the planetary ascension. Our return to Prime Creator. For information on our services and to connect with Vivian, visit InfiniteHealingFromTheStars.com. Have you ever felt like if you just had the right tools and resources, you'd be able to carve a path toward the life your heart is aching for? Guess what? You have everything you need inside you. I'm Natasha Ornedo, 
and I'm here to show you that your healing is in your hands. Tune into my show, Unlock the Healing Path, every second and fourth Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. To learn more about me and my work, visit NatashaOdnedo.com. Hey, everybody, it's me, psychic medium, Jamie. And me, Spirit Walker, Nicole. We are so excited to introduce you to our new live call-in show called Shades of Spirit on TransformationTalkRadio.com. As we connect you with your crossed over loved ones, angels, and guides, and also help you develop your own psychic and healing abilities. For more information and to book your own private experience, go to ShadesOfSpirit.com and also follow us on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Tune into Three Things I've Learned with Susan Dolce every first and third Tuesday of the month at noon Pacific, 3 o'clock Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. Join Susan and her guests as they share the stories that shift our souls about radical transformations, courageous breakthroughs, and life lessons. Three Things I've Learned with Susan Dolce. For more information, go to TransformationTalkRadio.com or visit Susan's website at SusanDolce.com. I'm Dr. Kathy Robert, Center for Transformation Change, having a great conversation, learning with Dr. Dakisa Pena as we continue to think about how do you do equity inclusion change work inside organizations. And we've did counseling centers. Now we've been moving into academic mm-hmm. a bit more. So the folks that aren't yet on board that might be in resistance. And I'm also finding some backpedaling that leaders said, particularly after George Floyd's murder, the protests, the time of racial reckoning, students putting another list of demands mm-hmm. up. I'm finding this, these generations of students are clear, persistent, and yet I still find leaders, we don't have time, we've got to think about the right. pandemic coming back. So are there ideas yeah. about how to keep progress, sustained effort, when there could be some of this backsliding going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I found is organizing and having strategy is really key to continuing whatever initiative or movement that you want to occur on campus. So one of the things that has happened over the last two years at ISU is a movement that our African-American students have brought called Anti-Black ISU. And it was about like the treatment that Black students felt on campus. And so one of the things that really helped with their movement and really helped for, again, those in power, listen to the students was their organizational efforts. So they came up with a list of demands, strategies, Um, They had leadership, right, advisors, they organized uh, marches, utilized the media. They had a solid strategy, right, to continue to keep um, the lens, right, the pressure, the lens of their needs and their wants on campus. So definitely organizing and having a strategy is key to having the process be sustainable and to start to create create some of that systemic change. It's almost like national shift, having folks metaphorically on the streets or on the campus, mm-hmm. external pressure, internal change. Yeah. Uh, and alumni. Now here's a new question I hadn't thought of. 
how can folks in your role or deans of College of Education help alumni organize to also get pressure on faculty, staff, leaders that aren't quite on board yet? Mm-hmm. So we are so lucky to have an amazing um, communications person who really has helped us reach out to our alumni. So one of the things that ISU College of Education does very well is we keep our list of all of our alumni. And one of the things that we did when I first uh, joined the College of Education is we reached out to alumni I made a video. I said, hey, it's so good to meet Mm -hmm. you. I know that you all used to be in the College of Education. We need your advice on some things. We want you to know that your voice is still valued. And so we sent out a survey to our our alumni just to start to engage them on some things and let them know, hey, we're here for you to support you. And we hope that you can give back and support us. So that communication piece and being able to connect to alumni um, is super important for the work, at least that I'm doing within the College of Education. You reminded me, one college I got to consult and train with sent out an email survey to all of their grads asking, Mm What did you not learn here? What skills and competencies? And EDI was their highest one. It happened to be a college of nursing, but I bet college of education is similar. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's ongoing alumni development, which would be great for relationship building, but if we bring it back into, could you imagine, and maybe you do get examples from alumni as well as current students to say, this was my classroom experience. This was my advising experience because that data might help some of the faculty who read and write and publish and are nationally recognized for doing work around racism, inclusive classroom, sexism, and yet their practices perpetuate microaggressions. So how are you, how are you getting faculty or could you to really look at their curriculum their pedagogy, mm-hmm. their classroom dynamics. Um, yes, yes, yeah. So there are a lot of ways. I'm very lucky to be in Illinois, let me tell you that. Because <laughs> we have um, a new law that came into play, which is our culturally um, responsive teaching practices, teaching and leading practices for all um, teacher teachers and educators within the state of Illinois. So legally... Um, by October 2025, we are required to have those standards, which are all focused on EDI, um, aligned with the curriculum. Uh, yeah, <laughs> within our department and how we teach uh, future teachers. So we're very lucky to, um, I'm very lucky to be in a state that makes things law. Um, The other thing that we're looking at, though, is those things that um, are desirable for our faculty. So like those who are going through the tenured process, we have a process called ASEPT, A-S-P-T, and that's really kind of the tenured process for tenured faculty. So what are those items that we can um, put into that portfolio? that are focused on equity, diversity, and inclusion that will count towards your tenured process. If you're doing the service work, let's weight that as much as we weight your scholarship, 
for as much as we weigh your your teaching, right, and your, and your pedagogy. And so just really looking at shifting some of those systems. Now, it sounds so easy. I'm not saying this is an easy process because you have to go all the way through um, the provost's office and to the trustees board and all of those things to get some of these um, items switched and changed. But the process has started to start to talk about, okay, what this document is really about values. We're saying we value research. We're saying that we value teaching. Let's value EDI and being able to put those items into that tenure track process so that our professors can get credit for it. And the data of my demographics, who are the students you've taught this year? What are the grades? What is the satisfaction and learning from the student perspective? Mm -hmm. Some, some places are doing that kind of data. And I'll bet some faculty and chairs are pushing back because they may not want that kind of data that minute mm-hmm. public. Right. But that plus the state law, I wonder how many, are there other states that you know have similar expectations and requirements? Not that I know of, but I am kind of micro-focused on Illinois. I bet people are Googling already. Yeah. Um, I do know IUPUI, <laughs> which is Indiana, whole university has put in more of an EDI requirement in 10 years, you're saying, but you're also talking about a process so that people get equitable coaching, support, mentoring, instead of a handful of faculty mentor who they're comfortable with, which is usually folks like me. I find faculty want skills like creating an inclusive classroom from the start and what if microaggressions happen. And so some of that faculty development can be campus-wide. Are you Mm -hmm. finding the School of Ed? I mean, is that part of your portfolio, someone else's role to do some of that skill development? Yeah, so that is actually something that we have that is launched out of our provost office. It's called Growth Teams. So each college is required to have a growth team that focuses on... um, culturally responsive and inclusive inclusive teaching practices, and specifically professional development and mentoring within the college as it connects to culturally relevant and inclusive teaching practices. So we do have somebody in the provost's office who covers that, and then we have teams within our colleges that implement that strategy. So instead of whoever happens to be doing it, This is a structure, a system with hierarchy, resources, accountability, almost like the inclusion partner program, which you referenced earlier, which we started Illinois State. Yes. The idea (laughs) of people built into every department. So it's in the college. What are all the different departments? One or two faculty and staff who get more training and development with some of the competencies to be in meetings, to be in planning, decision-making, to revise practices, policies. And just to let folks know, I am doing that inclusion partner course again, starting the last Friday of August, but you can find that on my website, drkathybear.com backslash events, or email me if you want to know more. Um, So can't let you go if you're willing without PhD and marriage and family. I often, when I'm doing especially white accountability groups, white folks will say, Mm -hmm. I think we're fine, but it's my family. (laughs) Um, 
do you have, what, do, what would you suggest for folks, whether it's a mixed race family, all white family, and there are two things, active racist comments and behaviors mm-hmm. and or yeah. how do you raise children to be EDI mm-hmm. slash race aware so that we have new yeah. generations really fulfilling the countries and world's vision of what we need. Yeah. One thing that I have found to be extremely helpful when we are wanting to create change. So active change in behavior, which is difficult to do, let me tell you. But one thing that I found is people who feel heard and understood are more likely to be willing to be educated and open and and kind of open their minds and their hearts to new things. And so I would encourage folks lean into a space of curiosity. So if you hear a comment, I tell people when your heart goes off, right? You hear a comment, um, you're real pretty for a black girl, right? Or, oh, um, you better not bring so-and-so home or, you know, you're going to get kicked out of this family or those people know what they're doing. I don't know why they can't get themselves together. Really leaning into a space of curiosity and saying something like, huh, who, who are those people? I'm just very curious. Or why wouldn't I be able to bring my partner home? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So making sure that you're leaning into curiosity, asking questions. We all know that when the wall goes up, the defenses go up, that's not helpful. But once people feel heard and understood, then you can lean in to educate. Then you can lean in to say, well, that that has not been my experience because then they're willing to listen. And I'll tell you a really quick story. I was having a meeting And um, one of the folks in the meeting said, oh, my goodness, I am having a blonde moment. I just couldn't. uh, I don't know what happened. And I said, oh, what does that mean? I'm not I'm not sure with what a blonde moment means. And it just took that one question of curiosity to kind of go, oh, well. I guess it's not a blonde moment. I shouldn't have said blonde. I'm just having trouble remembering what I wanted to share today. And I said, oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense because I have that, I have those moments too. And I'm definitely not blonde, right? <laughs> so ha- being able to, that's another thing that I use a lot is humor, but being able to lean into that question, making sure people feel heard and understood with no judgment, And then being able to ask the question if you're able to share your perspective on things. And usually when people feel heard, they will say yes. That's how dialogues happen. And that's how behavioral change occurs. I love it. I know for me, it took a lot of space, practice to be able to stay centered enough Mm -hmm. Because when you said what the heart alarm goes off, I call it triggers or hot buttons. Um, That's when it's particularly challenged for me to be curious. And so it's a strategy because some folks might be hearing us and go, well, you're colluding and coddling. It's like, no, this is a strategy. It's a strategy. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So as we just have a couple minutes left, 
most folk of color are saying to me, I'm exhausted. I'm burned out. Mm -hmm. I was before the pandemic. Now that we've been remote, I realized how much racist dynamics were around me that I was just putting up with or strategizing. Yeah. And now I got to go back to in-person. So if we tie these last two together, whether folks are white, folks of color, other marginalized identities, what are ways to take care of ourselves? We might have the bandwidth and the presence to do what you're suggesting of curiosity, mm -hmm. leaning in, let me hear, acknowledge, and then share my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think that self-care is something that people have really had to learn during the pandemic. Um, I have learned so many people's true colors. Like <laughs> throughout the pandemic, you cannot put that mask or that face on forever. You just learn where people are, they're stressed out, um, and you get to know the real person. So we've all throughout the pandemic been exhausted. We've all been dealing, uh, most of us, I won't say all, have been dealing with a lot of um, burnout just in the shifts in, in our lives and the stress from um, worry and fear. Um, so I would say for folks of color, going back into the office, maybe they've had a little bit of respite during COVID, working from home or um, being in a space where they can reflect more, going back into the office. I would say, remember what helped you in your self-care during those COVID times. Don't forget that. So when I am a true introvert, Okay, when I'm done for the day, I want to be in a dark room by myself. Yes, I have kids, I have a husband, I have all those loving people, but I know for me, I need that time. Mm. So I shut the door and my kids know it's mommy time. It's mommy time. And after a certain hour at night, it is mommy time because I am important also um, with all those other identities and all those other roles. And that includes my career. I am also important. I get to say no. And I need to do those self-care techniques that are important for me. So just remember what helped you during um, the quarantine and continue to do that throughout the back. Dr. Casisa Pina, thank you so much. As we close, could you remind people how they can find you if they want to talk more about some of these ideas or have some consultation with you? Absolutely. Consultation and marriage and family therapy work is drvikisapina at gmail.com. And then the EDI work within the academic unit would be ddpina at lstu.edu. Thank you for taking the time, sharing your wisdoms and insights. This is uh, Transformation and Change Radio. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear, and we will see you next month. And if you want more of these resources, you can look at the website or my website, drkathyobear.com. Thank you again, Takisa. We're so appreciative. Thank you. You all go well this summer. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach. 
For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.